Our scripture passage for today comes from Romans chapter 14. At the end of chapter 13, Paul warned the Roman church against giving into what he called fleshly desires. Now, some believers might have assumed that Paul was advocating a life that gives up all material possessions, the kinds of things that please the flesh. But his words in chapter 14 quickly erase that conclusion because he makes it clear that matters like food and drink, things that please the flesh, are indifferent to the way we practice the faith. They're neither good nor bad. What Paul is really concerned with in this passage is the attitude Christians should have toward those with whom they disagree in the church. And there was a good bit of disagreement in the Roman church. Paul describes it as quarreling between the strong and the weak. And he insists that the whole church should live with more acceptance and compassion. So let's listen now to our scripture passage. I'll read verses 1 through 12 of chapter 14. And this is what Paul writes. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in the Lord, honor of the Lord. Also, those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God, while those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will be accountable to God. Oh God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing to you. Amen. I think most guys who enjoy fishing have at one point or another dreamed of getting their own fishing boat. I want to share a story with you about one fella who wanted a boat more than just about anything. And he had his eye on a 33-foot Grady White Canyon 336 with a center console. And in case you're wondering, this is a luxury fishing boat. Now, that guy's wife wasn't so keen on his idea. She even pointed out the fact that they have many other financial obligations that they should take care of first. 
Well, he listened carefully to his wife, but apparently he had his mind set up, made up, and he went ahead and bought that boat. Well, not long afterwards, he picked up some clues from his wife that she wasn't pleased with that decision. So he wanted to smooth things over with her, and he said, okay, I'll tell you what, in the spirit of compromise, why don't you name the boat? And he thought this concession and this compromise would really please her, and it looked like it did. Well, later on, when he went down to the dock to check on his boat, he found a big surprise. Actually, it was a shocking surprise because he discovered that his wife had named his boat for sale. And obviously, the compromise didn't have the outcome that he was hoping for. People often think of compromise as a bad thing. And it is when we're willing to set aside our principles and our core values in order to get what we want. But are there times when it might be appropriate to make a compromise in the way we practice our faith? Well, this issue is, I think, at the heart of our scripture passage today from Romans 14. Paul was concerned about division within the Roman church that had popped up as people expressed different understandings of a proper response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he warned the church to not see their own understanding as the norm, which they could then use to judge everyone else. Paul believed that there's room within the Christian community for different ways of responding to the gospel with respect to a person's everyday life. And thus he pleaded with the church to live with grace and tolerance. Now to be clear, Paul was not saying anything goes. In fact, he spoke against the works of darkness, as he calls it in chapter 13. These are things that Christians should not do. But Paul made a distinction between essential and non-essential parts of the faith. Essentials include things like living and dying for God, holding firmly to the peace we have in Christ, and living with joy in the Holy Spirit. And Paul thought of non-essentials as matters that are indifferent, like the foods people eat or the days that are set aside as holy. Now, I appreciate Paul's guidance on this, but from my experience, it gets tricky for us to sort out what's essential from what's not essential. Now, Christians, in fact, have argued about this sort of thing since the very beginning of our faith. And so I think it helps to recognize that what we might consider essential to the faith today may have been considered non-essential in the past or vice versa. We see examples of this throughout the history of the Christian faith. Many of the creeds of the ancient church were formulated in the context of hotly debated theological issues. And yet today, your average Christian would have a hard time explaining what those issues were. People today just don't want to be bothered with arguments from 1800 years ago. As another example, take what happened at the Council of Whitby in the year 663. Church leaders had a heated debate over, among other things, the proper haircut style of monks. They treated this as if it were essential to the faith. And that conflict 
between those two sides led to division within the church. Now over the years, there have been lots of debates over matters considered essential. There have been groups of Christians who've banned instrumental music, icons, dramas, and dancing because of their core beliefs. Other Christians have insisted on Saturday worship, while others have held to Sunday worship. And for hundreds of years, many Christians sanctioned the institution of slavery because of their core convictions. As we look back on those moments in church history, we may wonder why so many Christians made a fuss over things that we consider non-essential. Why couldn't they just lay down their personal beliefs and instead unite around the glory of God? Well, I hope we will see from this brief history lesson a warning. You know, 500 years from now, how will Christians look back on our lives? What will they see? What did we get wrong? What things did we consider to be essential that they consider non-essential? Well, simply being aware of this can shape the way we treat other believers who may hold different convictions than we do. And we see this play out in our scripture passage. There were things that Paul considered non-essential that some Roman Christians believed were fundamental core values. And Paul set this up as a conflict between the strong and the weak, where the strong have embraced their freedom in Christ, while the weak want to be in the right. They want to practice the faith in the right way. Paul sees himself and those in his camp as the strong. In chapter 15, verse 1, he writes, We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak. Now, I would imagine that this stirred things up, and those that Paul labeled as weak probably weren't pleased with him. But they may have also found consolation in believing that they were still right. They were following tradition and thought they had the Bible on their side, especially when it came to what foods they should eat and what days they should observe as holy. And these weaker members of the church even judged other members as being deficient in their beliefs. But Paul disagreed with them, and yet he didn't want to debate them. He actually spends most of his time in chapter 14 and then in the first half of chapter 15 talking to the strong Christians. In Paul's view, strong Christians should refuse to get into squabbles about who's right and who's wrong. And instead, they should focus their energies on working with the whole church and spreading the gospel. And he wanted the weak to follow their example. But Paul also gives a warning to the strong, urging them to not put their freedom ahead of everything else. They shouldn't let their freedom get in the way or act as a stumbling block for others. Now, the strong believed it was permissible to eat and drink whatever they pleased, while the weak felt like they had to abstain from certain foods and drinks in order to not compromise their faith. Paul didn't want the strong to do anything that might trip up the weak. He wanted the strong to lead the way in helping the whole church focus on what they hold in common. Now here's a metaphor to help us think about this. Weak Christians have a small yet sturdy boat that's built to last. It's clean and tidy and it's kept that way because everyone agrees on everything. 
Strong Christians have a big boat. It's not as tidy, and sometimes it's just downright messy because there's just so many people on the boat. Everyone has their own ideas about this, that, and the other. But what everyone has in common is a joy and love that embraces the chaos. Now, there's a great deal of diversity within the Christian family. But what we hold in common is a joy and a love for Jesus Christ. Staying focused on what we have in common is essential to the health and the vitality of the church. Otherwise, the church will divide and split and be less effective in carrying out its mission. Now, Paul lays the responsibility of keeping the focus on the essentials on the strong Christians. And he does this because the weak believers are entrenched. Their focus is on being right. But strong Christians need to be mature by reaching out to the weak and working to make connections with them. Paul warns them to, or he wants, wants them to put into practice the, the commandment to love their neighbor. In Romans chapter 15, verse 2, he writes, Each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. Now, Paul notes that one way to do this is to practice hospitality by welcoming those with whom you disagree. In verse 1 he says, Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Paul was reminding them to practice tolerance with each other instead of being judgmental. And to remember that most things are really non-essential issues. And then he lays out three reasons why they should avoid being judgmental. Well, first, Paul believed every Christian is a servant of God and a member of God's household. He makes the point that it's not right to criticize or judge a servant of another household. And so if God has accepted a person into his house, then no one is in a position to judge. Second, Paul recognizes that Christians hold to many different practices, and yet they grow from the same root. The Roman Christians had different ideas about what foods to eat and what holy days they should observe. But those different convictions come from a place of wanting to honor God. When Christians have a disagreement with each other, it can be easy for us to lose sight of God because oftentimes our focus is on winning the argument and, and then we make it about ourselves. But in verses 7 and 8, Paul says, we do not live to ourselves and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Christians reach different conclusions on a variety of things, but we are all trying to be faithful to God. A third reason Paul gives as to why it's not right to judge others rests in the fact that God is the one who judges. Paul raises the question in verse 4, Who are we to judge? Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? 
It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall. And to make sure the church hears this, Paul repeats himself in verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Of you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. It is a constant temptation for one group of Christians to impose their understanding of the faith on all other Christians. But Paul is reminding the Romans that they have freedom in the faith to live out the faith in a number of ways. There is room for diversity. Now that doesn't mean anything goes because there are limits on what's considered acceptable Christian behavior. But Paul wants us to remember that God has given us freedom to practice the faith in a variety of ways. And let's remember that Jesus made room for a variety of people in his own ministry. He welcomed the rich and the poor, the religious and the profane, the spiritual and the worldly. They didn't practice the faith in the same way. And there's a fascinating story in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus is eating at the home of a Pharisee when a woman known for her sinful reputation came and anointed his feet with her tears. Now we can only wonder why and how she gained that reputation. But we do know that the Pharisee had acted highly judgmental toward her. Now Jesus could have rejected the Pharisee and he could have rejected that woman for the way she was living. But that's not what Jesus did. In fact, he responded by making room for both of them. The good news of Jesus Christ is that we are accepted and valued despite our sin. It's not our job to judge other people. Instead, we should live with more grace and tolerance while also taking the time to examine and re-examine what we believe so that we might focus on what really is essential. Now, it's not easy distinguishing what's essential from what's not essential. We may reach different conclusions. But Paul has reminded us today to look for common ground with each other. And most of all, to work together in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is good news in this gospel for everyone. And it's our job to share it. Would you pray with me? Oh God, it can be tempting to focus more on winning arguments than faithfully following you. We like to be right. And yet if we're not careful, we push ourselves away from those with whom we disagree and we fail to love them. Lord, help us to examine ourselves and to be aware of our own shortcomings. And we pray that you would guide us as your church to work together so that our focus will be on sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with our world. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.